It's time for InsureTalk with insurance industry tech geek and Guidewire chief evangelist, Laura Drabik. In this podcast series, we don't just talk about innovative ideas in PNC insurance. We talk with industry trailblazers about the big ideas they made happen and how they did it. If you're looking for insights on the trends and technologies reshaping the industry, an all-new InsureTalk starts now. Welcome to InsureTalk. My name is Laura Drabik and I'm the Chief Evangelist at Guidewire. In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Lisa Wardlaw, founder and president of 360 Digital Immersion and North America advisor for InsureTech Israel. Lisa has more than 25 years of global insurance and cross-industry experience, transforming finance, operations, and digital business organizations, spanning cutting-edge startups to Fortune 100 companies. In this episode, we'll discuss how insurers can apply non-traditional thinking and create a compelling and differentiated value proposition. Hello, Lisa. Thank you for joining my podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. So excited to be here with you today. Well, we're excited to have you. So tell our listeners a little about your role at InsureTech Israel and what gets you fired up every day to help InsureTechs and insurers transform their businesses. My role is to serve as an advisor to startups who are global and mainly in Shortech Israel, who are coming to North America to land, expand, and create traction. And as you know well, Laura, it's very difficult to get scale and to become that coveted unicorn if you can't take North America. And so given my experience in the corporate world, crossing the gamut from CFO to COO to digital strategy, and when I left the corporate world, it was kind of my mission and my passion to help startups create more immediate penetration because the rising tide lifts all boats. How do we create the swell of tidal lift that the industry overall needs? So that's definitely what I focus on. Yeah, I like that. The swell of tidal lift and you do it so very well. In 2023, insurers face mounting pressure from inflation, heightened competition, rising consumer expectations, economic uncertainty, and more. In your conversations with insurers, Lisa, what are they saying is their biggest challenge and what do you tell them about addressing it? Yeah, Laura, I mean, the biggest challenge that they face is the vast amount of challenges that they're facing in tandem. So clearly, none of those things are individually unique to insurance. Our industry is tried and true for a reason. We've been around forever. I think it's the heightened pace and the coalescence of all of that at once. But the thing that insurers are saying is how do we now look at this in a horizon two, horizon three, maybe even a horizon four level, but yet bring it back to horizon one and create that framework and that blueprint of execution that's going to permeate through. Because as you know, and what you do, Laura, technology transformation is not a one and done. It's not a quick bolt on. You know, I think about it a lot like building a house, the foundations and the pillars, the challenges you can't just sell financial products like we used to. So how do you put all of that together and create these strategies that aren't stop and start? You know, Lisa, you're spot on. And we interview a lot of carriers on the show and they actually say exactly what you said about creating a framework that's like building a house, create the foundation and, and then the pillars. And again, I just want to call out what you said. Transformation is not once and done. It is an organic evolutionary process. So well put. We're at a point when insurers face new digital first challengers, something you're very well aware of, as well as retailers and manufacturers moving into things like product warranties and better 
embedded directly into the purchase of their products. But as you said, just identifying a specific problem and applying solution X will only get you so far. As you've put it, real innovation isn't about looking at things as they are, but instead looking at what they could be or how they could be. Less tweaking, more rethinking. Tell our listeners what you mean by that and ways they can apply non-traditional thinking to accomplish this. We could talk about this in and of itself for a whole podcast, but the linearity of our industry has always been something that has intrigued me because I come from a liberal arts background. It's a little bit non-linear, but I ended up doing roles that were very linear. Most of our industry is mathematicians and statisticians and actuaries. And in most of our roles, we like linearity. So then you think of when we went digital, we were running on the treadmill. We sell premiums. We service claims. Yes, we have to have good customer experience. Like that's actually nothing new. That's what we do is business. The observation I had is that everyone took that treadmill and they were like, oh, we got to go digital. Let's make it go from a 1.0 on the treadmill to 2.0 or maybe to 2.5. What we really needed to do was say, let's get off the treadmill. There's a totally different way to invent and reinvent the process itself. And many of the processes that we had were there in terms of the flow and the way it occurred because of the tools, the frameworks, etc. that were all we had at this time. But the tools that are coming out are dynamic, meaning they're not static. They're not point in time. Yet the piping that they're trying to connect into is static. So instead of rethinking the entire process to say, well, now how do we do something that's dynamic, ever fluid, not staying the same? We're trying to pump that hydraulic pressure into something that's static. And of course, Laura, as you can imagine, it, it, it just doesn't work. Let's think of like digital intake. And someone will say, well, I just want to digitize the form. And someone's like, no, we should rethink the entire intake process. So that's one example, Laura. And I could go on and on because I see it so much. But the point here is I recognize patterns. And when I went into the insure tech world, I started seeing the symptomatic pattern, regardless of the startup, regardless of the corporate, regardless if it's PNC or life or health, I saw the same patterns. And so one thing I try to do is engage at a thought leadership level and say, how can we as an industry solve these patterns? So Lisa, you've said so many insightful things there. One of the things that really resonated with me though, was your treadmill and a new way to approach or reinvent the process. That's just an aha moment, I think right now for me. And also um, I need to get on that treadmill this afternoon. <laughs> so I heard you on a recent podcast with our favorite podcaster, Brian Falchuk, the author of The Future of Insurance and a guest on my show. You were talking about how the best innovation comes not just from a depth, but also from a breadth of experience. Insurance is known for requiring deep expertise. <laughs> There's a lot to know and you better know it. So tell us why adding longitude to latitude can be so critical to innovation in our industry. First of all, I love that you knew that. So thank you. I'm, I'm honored because you've been somebody that I have fangirled after for years. So I'm just like, I'm blushing right now. You know, it comes from two perspectives. I worked at one of the largest global reinsurers for a decade, and I had an obsessed desire to understand how deep everyone was vertically. And of course, as you mentioned, Laura, everyone in our industry has to be experts, right? Which perpetuates what I refer to as longitudinal depth or linear 
linearity. I come from a liberal arts background. I was trained to think, not to know. And so in thinking and in strategy, you're always trying to go latitudinally, right? You're trying to go A to Z because you're trying to see the bigger patterns before you go down into the longitude. And I always love this example because you can't find a coordinate on a map with having both longitude and latitude. So there's a lot of intentionality to why I use that example. And what I started realizing is that people that I would speak with were very uncomfortable or seemingly unaware of the end-to-end or the latitudinal observations. And when we would get into things like transformation and how are we going to do that treadmill, everyone would just very focused on making that thing better, engineering, actuaries, et cetera. And I was like, but we have to think across. And I just started noticing the lack of comfort in flexing that muscle of latitudinal thinking. And I think we've taken an industry that was static, that is by definition deep. You cannot be in this industry if you do not have depth and credibility, very deep. But we're missing that layer of cross-secting everything. And there was an amazing colleague. He called it digital cognizant dexterity. And as soon as I heard that phrase, I'm like, yes, he identified that observation that I kept having. He codified it for me in my mind. And so I guess after that, I started trying to create that layer so that people could see how the longitude connected to the latitude. When people are on the treadmill and they're just trying to make it go faster, that's why. They're not doing anything inappropriate. They just haven't seen that there's another path that they could be taking that's not on that specific treadmill. We need more people in our industry to draw that picture of that latitudinal connection to their longitudinal depth. Great information. When we come back after this short break, we'll continue our conversation with Lisa Wardlaw. Digging in Sure Talk with Laura Drabik? Be sure to subscribe on Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, rate the show on Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Now, let's get back to the show. And welcome back to Insure Talk. This is Laura Drabik, and I'm talking to industry thought leader, Lisa Wardlaw. Okay, you've written that your passions are building radically different, unprecedented business strategies that result in new business models with the tools of the future. And you've said that your liberal arts foundation is key to bringing non-traditional thinking to innovation. And that's something that's become very clear here. Lisa, how do we do more of that rethinking that you talk about? So it's really stepping outside of what we know. We could quote Peter Thiel here in the end to one thinking. Very few people know how to go net new or zero to one. And by the way, I'm not saying our fundamental business model isn't to take premiums and to pay claims, and right? Like we've got to be there for our customer. I, I get all that. But how people experience insurance, I think is up for zero to one. Let's take climate and weather. Instead of just loss modeling better, better reserving, et cetera, how about we as an insurance industry leverage all these new techniques to preemptively purchase resources, labor, supplies, material on the supply chain as a derivative or as a future before, during, as the events unfolding to change the economic yield curve. These are things that I'm talking about. When I'm saying, how do we take the hands that are dealt to us and leverage the power of who we are as an industry to transform that experience of that consumer and over all of our industries? Thinking beyond just how do I make a claim faster, which is important, but how 
how do I transform what people experience overall by our industry? That's what we're talking about when we say things like this. That's really insightful. So merge the power of the industry to transform the experience of the consumer. Really well put. In your view, a big part of innovation is about asking the right questions to think instead of to know. One example, you say that so many times we talk about the need for automation in underwriting our claims, but automation shouldn't be the objective. It should be a means to a specific end, something that organizations need or that customers want. We need to focus on the why and not the what or the how. So tell us more about this concept and how should we think about finding the questions we should ask? In a liberal arts education, you are trained always to focus on a 360 lens of the arts, the sciences, the humanities, the math. And a lot of times you find something in history or philosophy that applies to what we're talking about. And a great example here would be when they got the engineering for how to have a self-driving car. What they failed to do at the time was bring in sociologists and anthropologists that would read the human nodding. Like if you and I are in a car, Laura, and I nod to you to go ahead and proceed even though the four-way stop said it's not your turn. That was the part that wasn't in the engineering. So it was the humanities that were needed to make autonomous vehicles work. And the autonomous vehicle companies started realizing that and brought in lots of sociologists and anthropologists. So I think that we're also at that pinnacle here in insurance, which is we are so poised to know because we have to know to get our losses right. But understanding that you have to, for a moment, think through what What's the why? What are the questions I should be asking? But it's really about a little bit of existentialism. How do you step outside of something that's very comforting and that you know and that you understand all dimensions of to allow yourself the humility to say, I actually have to assume I know nothing. And Laura, I ran claims. I had dotted line to underwriting and data science and big data reported to me and, you know, all these things. But a lot of times my aha moments or solving the problem would come in me saying, I'm going to assume I don't know anything. How would I think about this in a different way? And at the time, I used to spend a ton of time outside of the industry, submersing myself in uh, discussions and techniques that weren't or to the industry so that I could bring those back conceptually and start figuring out how to apply those. And I see a lot of the amazing thought leaders of our industry doing similar things. So why do linear industries, those that are heavy in things like math, engineering, or science, struggle with this concept of thinking instead of knowing? What's your advice to organizations in these fields? I love the fact that you use the word industries because I don't want anybody to think that this is just insurance. It's a lot of industries and the post-industrial revolution actually curated it because it was wash, rinse, and repeat, scale, grow, and expand. What a lot of us started doing is really starting to sprinkle in people who come from non-traditional backgrounds. So I'll give you a great example, Laura. When I was trying to build my business transformation team at one of the large corporates that I worked for, I was not looking for STEM grads. And no disrespect to STEM grads, like that's great. I started looking for music majors and art majors. And I would say the tech giants probably beat us to it, which is funny because technology is about engineering and they seem to be very good at this. So it's definitely hopeful that we can all do this. And so I think the 
technology giants started to weave those more holistic, differentiated degrees and thinkings into linearity. That's where we start to see traction. And, and there are some companies right now, especially in the area of longevity, that are, in my mind, being thought leaders where they're combining engineering with humanity PhDs, sociology PhDs, with loss actuaries, mortality actuaries, and everyone's coming together and we're thinking about what does the new world look like as people age and live longer. So I, I just want to emphasize how hopeful I am because I am seeing these mixes of diverse backgrounds come together. Yeah. And it's a strategy that McKinsey has certainly used successfully over the years. And speaking of big brand names like McKinsey, thanks to consumer expectations set by big digital first brands like Netflix and Amazon, personalization at scale is becoming critical to our industry, delivering a consistent and contextually relevant experience throughout the insurance life cycle. So Lisa, what does personalization at scale mean to you? And what are some ways for insurers to achieve personalization at scale or even go beyond what we think of personalization at scale today? The first thing I would tell you is what it does not mean to me. And I, I would say that personalization does not mean taking an algorithm and reverting to the mean, which is, by the way, like what most air quote personalization algorithms are doing. Mm-hmm. If you think of user stories and you think of the 80-20 rule, and what all this is doing is saying, I'm going to identify something about you, and then I'm going to put you onto a track of commonality. That to me is by definition, not hyper-personalization. That is saying you've got a lot of scenarios and you you think somebody's going to fit one of those paths. Hyper-personalization to me means that you're not ever comparing me to somebody else's standard data flow or standard journey, that you would literally know meet my habits, my journey. I often use an example with Aura Ring. Like, let's take that as an example because I have one. I'm a big fan of it. I love checking my data in the morning, but I have a really good friend of mine who hates seeing her score because it makes her feel bad about herself. Hyper-personalization to me would mean that my Aura Ring app would know that I'm a metric measured person, it would flash it up to incentivize me, but it would know that my other friend feels bad about herself. So it would not show that to her. And instead it would say like, hey, I want you to know that you did a great job or whatever. So it's how do we really know someone's psychological as well as their behavior patterns? When we achieve that, we will have achieved hyper-personalization. Let's now talk a little bit about generative AI. For our listeners, it's an artificial intelligence that generates new content, including text, audio, images, video code, and of course, data. Some of the use cases for leveraging Gen AI specifically in insurance could be automating redundant activities, coaching an agent so they could sell cyber or more complex commercial lines. What Gartner shows us in their latest poll of insurance executives is that 70% of carriers are currently in exploration mode of Gen AI. Lisa, what are your thoughts on how Gen AI or even just AI in general unlocks our ability to find transformative ways to move our business forward. What a perfect inflection point to get to hyper-personalization and not make people feel like they're being reverted to the means. As humans, we are orators and language is so important to us. And having things that understand in a way that we ask and we seek to engage is so important. And kind of a consistent theme is let's avoid the 1.0 version of chatbots. I mean, whether you were dealing with airlines, whether you were dealing with your bank, whether you were dealing with your insurer. We were just last to the party. We were all like, operator, <laughs> help, <laughs> representative, get me out of this digital loop. The goal and object 
perspective that we have now. And Laura, to your point, we're just now beginning and it's applicable across so many things, policy form, interpretation, understanding, claims, customer service, underwriting, security development, life cycle, how we can understand code. There's so much we can do with it. But I think it really, really, really is that pinnacle time for co-curated design. If we as an industry leverage generative AI to just make that treadmill go a little bit faster, no. I understand that we have to optimize our expenses and our P&L, but we cannot use Gen AI to just get OPEX savings. We have to do more. I understand that we're going to make things better and the treadmill is going to run a little bit faster, but I really hope we don't just use Gen AI for that purpose. Thanks, Lisa. On the other side of this break, we'll continue the conversation, so don't go anywhere. Loving InsureTalk with Laura Drabik? For more expert insights and inspiration, subscribe to Laura's email newsletter at drabikdigest.com, your one-stop resource for Laura's latest blog posts, videos, podcasts, articles, and more. That's www.drabikdigest.com. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back. This is Insure Talk with Laura Drabik, where we're talking with Lisa Wardlaw. There's assembling the right internal team, and then there's building the right external ecosystem to achieve your objectives. So insure tech ecosystems enable insurers to leverage a modern cloud platform like Guidewire to enable amazing new capabilities. We have two programs at Guidewire. It's our Vanguards, which is our incubator, as well as our Partner Connect program, which really addresses this strength for carriers. Why are InsureTech ecosystems so critical to innovation today? And what can InsureTechs and incumbents do to work better together to deliver the next great innovation? Going it alone is something that is impossible to do in our industry. <laughs> to build something like a UI or a workbench for an insurance function like claims or like underwriting is massive. And and the stakes are very, very, very high. A lot of times insurtech's trying to do that on their own. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? There's entire companies that focus just on this one workbench. And so I think that the initial generations of ecosystems were putting things together almost from a viewpoint and APIs enabled and intentionality created. Okay, it's there. But the ecosystem of the future that amazing companies like Guidewire are building, it's almost like the enterprise iOS store. And that's really what's needed because you really need to be able as an insure tech to compose and decompose your tech and really put up the part that's really genuinely unique and different. And you need to avoid all the redundancy of creating things like workbenches and stuff like that. And you need to connect that into the plumbing that has the capability to handle that hydraulic pressure of dynamicism and that insurance carriers trust from a technology and from a performance perspective. And I'm really an advocate for Ecosystems 2.0 or what I refer to as the dynamic ecosystem because there's a lot of even more exposed risk as we get into things like what's open and what's closed, what's available, what's not. So it's kind of going to be like moving to the cloud, but on steroids. To me, partnering isn't just shake your hand. It's, okay, you have part of my infrastructure and I have part of yours. And we are actually now creating someone's home. How do we do that together? That's very different than just saying we're on a marketplace. Spot on, Lisa. And we hear something very similar from our customers, especially around ecosystem 2.0. And you said something super important. A partnership is not just a logo on someone's website. You are actually helping them achieve something and it's done through an integration or helping them build that house. So well put. 
on your site, you've written something that is, I think, incredibly powerful. This is from Lisa's website, hashtag breaker of the status quo. I really love that. And it really describes everything that you spoke about today. So tell us about what that means, not just for an individual, but organizationally. So my decision to not follow the tide and not just making the treadmill go a little bit faster was never because I didn't deeply respect the industry and the people and the colleagues and the functions and the output. But I guess part of me just kept saying, but if those of us who are credentialized don't stand up and say, we don't all have to drink the Kool-Aid, there's another way and we can see it and we can articulate it and we can define it and we can give people that map, the longitude and latitude. We can give them the coordinate that didn't otherwise exist. That to me is how we help break the status quo. And if we're being really, really, really fundamentally honest with ourselves, society as a whole needs insurance. High performing nations all have robust financial services industries. But today's consumer isn't wired by the same sense of duty, duress, and need that maybe I was raised with. And so we have to move to creating things people want, which in my mind means we need to be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say, yes, we are too big to fail financially, we will always be there to pay losses for what we've written, but we aren't guaranteed that the traction and uptake will continue at the level it has been in the past. So we have to be willing to break the status quo. We have to be willing to say we can do better. We can think about things in a different way. And so for me professionally, I credentialized myself, but I'd always been an outlier. And so for me, finding my voice was how can I use that for good? So the breaker of status quo very much came to my mind. And I get sought out by outsiders are like, I think maybe I could talk to you, Lisa, because I am an outsider to this industry, but you seem to welcome that. And so let's have a talk. So it also created that signal to tell people, hey, it's okay if you think this way or Z is nuts. Let's talk about it, right? It's okay to have those discussions, even with people who are credentialized, because we're not just stodgy and closed minded to changing the way we do things. So it was really important to me as a personal and a professional mission. So let's continue on with that personal mission. One of the things that is so important for women in any industry, but especially high tech, is finding your authentic personal identity. What is it and how do you find it? Well, you know, it's so huge right now. I mean, and Laura, I'll just take this moment to say, not only have I been fangirling you, but when I did my own personal board of people I admire, like you do a mood board, who do I want to be when I grow up? You were one of the first people I put on that board because your voice and who you were and how you created an evangelist role as a female in a tech company was just so important for me because we believe we can be somebody when we see somebody being that. You cannot be what you cannot see. And so I think personal branding, creating your point of view and owning your point of view with clarity has never been not only more important, but it's never been more able to activate yourself, to send out the signals that you want the type of people, engagements, corporations, clients, colleagues, friends to reverberate back to you. So in the world that we're in with digital, in the world that we're in with female leaders and tech, never has there been a better time to know exactly who you are, to know what you stand for, and then to edit the people and the companies that you bring credibility to in tandem with that point of view. And so I think what a wonderful time it is to be able to know that about oneself. And by the way, we're all figuring it out. And my word of the year this year is active. And so 
Sabine Van der Leiden and Jessica Ewart and I, three of us met at an innovation workshop in Berlin having nothing to do with insurance. And we decided to create an Activate Your Authentic Identity workshop to empower women and men to know their voice and to leverage these tools so that they can be very specifically known and also create and co-curate the types of engaging experiences that they want to work on. Activate Your Authentic Identity. Please, listeners, be sure to check that out. Lisa, thank you very much for your time today and for bringing your authentic self to our podcast today. You've shown us it's not just about ideas, it's about making ideas happen. It's truly an honor, Laura. Tune in next time for an all-new episode of Insure Talk with Laura Drabik, brought to you by Guidewire, the platform PNC insurers trust to engage, innovate, and grow efficiently. For more information, visit guidewire.com.